Well, today's message I've entitled, uh, Let Go and Let God. You know, back in the day, just a few years ago when I was a teenager, (laughs) come on. No, really, there was a time back in the day when uh, let go and let God was one of those Christian lingo phrases we all seem to use. You could see it on bumper stickers, on uh, church signs. Every other church sign would say let go, let God. Those uh, plaques, you know, the, the pieces of bark with like 180 coats of shellac, really, really shiny, let go, let God. Uh, we all were using that phrase. And I haven't, I haven't heard anyone around here use that phrase in a long time. But I suspect some of you probably have used that phrase in, in times past. But today I want to encourage you to let go and let God. As I've grown in my relationship with Jesus Christ, I've gained some clarity on some things, on a few things. You know, life will do that to you, won't it? I've gained some clarity, and one of the things I've come to realize, my relationship (laughs) with Jesus is a lot simpler than I make it sometimes. Sometimes I can complicate my relationship with Christ. You know, I can be, if you're like me, sometimes I can be religious and I can be rule-centered, and I can make this relationship that I have with him much more complicated than it has to be. You know, don't, don't get me wrong, because God is very complicated. I mean, he is awesome, isn't he? I mean, when you think about God, God has created everything that is. And just by his very will, he holds it all together. The more I get into his word, the deeper I get into his word, the more I realize I need to go. The further I need to go, the deeper I need to go, the more I understand His Word, the more I want to know His Word because it's so deep. It's God. And my little pea brain sometimes can't comprehend God, and I'm I'm okay with that because He wouldn't be much of a God if I could figure Him out. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ has made having a relationship with Him a very simple thing. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God simplified this relationship with Him such that we could understand it and that we can have a personal relationship with the Creator God? That boggles my mind. Jesus Christ gave us three commands that really take this entire Scripture and kind of distill it down into some things that we can understand. He said, Love God with everything you are, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the third is the result of that. Go as a disciple into all the world and make disciples. He said, this relationship with me is pretty simple. Love God, love others, and make disciples. And you know, I've taken, in my life, I've taken those three commands, and I'm trying to apply those commands to my life, and I'm trying to live those commands out. And so I created for myself two axioms, two action statements, if you will, to help me apply those three commands. And I'm going to give you one of those action statements this morning. If you take your sermon notes out of the worship folder there, you'll see right at the top there's a box. And in that box it says, do what you know to do and let God 
take care of the results. Do what you know to do and let God take care of the results. It's an expanded version of let go and let God. Do what you know to do and let God take care of the results. And I think in our passage this morning, we're going to be covering 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 7. And I think this phrase, do what you know to do, and let God take care of the results is a thread that winds itself around this passage. God calls us to abandon outcomes. He says, trust my heart and trust my plan for your life. And I think as we go through our verses, our, our passage this morning, you're going to see that, that thread kind of tie that, this whole uh, section together. And I'm going to say that phrase several times this morning. You're going to get tired of hearing it. Trust me. But when you leave today, I want you to remember one thing. Do what you know to do. Let God take care of the results. So let's, uh, let's get into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The, all the scripture that I'll be reading throughout this morning is on your, on your notes there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks, if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. Paul says, let no one deceive himself. Let's start by remembering the condition in Corinth. You know, when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, the city of Corinth was a a very important trade route. It was the connection point between Western Europe and the flourishing Eastern world. And so because it was such a vital connection point between East and West, the city of Corinth was, was very wealthy. It was a prosperous city. They had everything because all the trade just went through Corinth. And so businesses were prosperous. And the city was just very prosperous and wealthy and had a uh, real success. And, and it was really, we could say it's a, a multicultural city of multicultural cities because the world traveled through Corinth. But because the world traveled through Corinth and it was such a vital connection point, Corinth was exposed to all types of sin, all types of hedonism and pagan worship. Those things just flourished in the city. And the city was so bad that the Greeks had a derogatory term. If, you, if someone was out of control or wild or debauch, just filled with debauchery and just evil and just wild out of control, the Greeks described that as they would call that person a Corinthazine. Corinthazine, the city was so bad that it was a derogatory term to describe bad behavior. In fact, the world knew Corinth as a wealthy, wild, anything-goes place. I mean, we could say that what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. Yeah. The Corinthian, the Corinthian culture heavily influenced the church in Corinth. And, you know, Paul had his hands full trying to correct and train out of the church 
those pagan and, and hedonistic beliefs. Because as Corinthians would become followers of Jesus Christ, they would bring into the church all of those pagan ideas. And most of those ideas led to very compromising beliefs and practices. And when we read 1 Corinthians, we see Paul over and over again trying to correct out and train out of the Corinthians these compromising beliefs. So Paul begins and he writes, Let no one deceive himself. Let no one deceive himself. From this phrase, I think we can, we can make two assumptions. Paul says, first of all, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can be deceived. And the second assumption is that we can deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. We can be deceived. You know, the word deceived means to accept as true or valid something that's untrue or invalid. In other words, to believe a lie, right? When you're deceived, you believe a lie. And so the Corinthians, they worshiped wealth. They worshiped success. They were materialistic. They were most likely trusting in their own abilities, in their plans, in their wealth, more than they trusted in Jesus Christ. And that's kind of like us, isn't it? In America today, you know, when everything is going well and there's money in the bank and the kids aren't sick and there's food on the table and the job is fine, it's easy for us to forget about God. It's easy for us to trust in the things that we own and the things that we have and in our plans and in our successes rather than trusting in Jesus, isn't it? Well, that was this kind of the situation here at, at uh, Corinth because when we, had, we, we tend to, to have it all for, together, we, it's easy for us to forget where it all comes from. But when trouble comes, we understand that God is in control. I might think I'm in control of my own destiny, I might think because of my plans or because of the things I own, I'm in control of the outcomes in my life. But when trouble comes, we find out very quickly who's in control. You know, January 12, 2010 was just a normal day. People got up that morning and went to work. They went to their jobs. Their children probably went to school. Businesses opened up. Businessmen probably planned their, their day and their week and their months ahead. Families probably talked about what they were going to do that evening and how things were going to work when they got together. They were living their lives just as a normal day. January 12, 2010 started as a normal day. But about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, a 7.0 earthquake rocked that island nation of Haiti. And in about 30 to 40 seconds, the lives of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people changed immediately, didn't it? Changed forever. There are people in, living on that island today that their lives have been changed forever because of that 30 or 40 seconds. God is in control. Amen? You know, I had a, um, an experience myself that kind of brought this home to me this week. Wednesday, I was on my long seven-tenths of a mile commute from my office to here. And I was sitting at the intersection right out here at Stigler and McCutcheon. And I was on McCutcheon ready to head into our church parking lot. 
and the light was red, and there was a car in front of me, and the light turned green, the car in front of me turned right, and I began to proceed through the intersection. I was about three-quarters of the way through that intersection when something just kind of caught the corner of my eye, and I slammed on my brakes. And what I realized was a Ford SUV expedition traveling at a very high rate of speed had come through the red light. And at the last minute, I slammed on my brakes, and this lady driving the vehicle was able to get around in front of me and just missed my car inches, just inches. She went around and went into the yard and into our parking lot. She missed the light pole. She missed the church sign. She missed the stump right there in the yard. And praise God, she missed me. (laughs) And, you know, I was thinking about that. Because that morning I got up, I had in my mind, my mind was already going with all the things I was going to do that day. I had my plans. Uh, There were things I had planned to do here. There was some of you in this room I was going to call that day. There were people I was going to pray with that day. There were things I was going to do. My wife and I had talked about what time I was going to be home for dinner and what we were going to do that night and those kinds of things. I had in my mind, my plans were already set. But in just that quick... Just a moment, my life could have been changed dramatically. Because my little red Ford Escort is no match for a Ford Expedition traveling very quick and very fast. My life could have been changed. I could have been severely injured or even killed. God is in control. And praise God, He put His hand on her, on her car and he, she ran the gauntlet without any real damage to either one of our vehicles at all. You know, God is in control. And Paul talks about this in this passage because he says, let us not deceive ourselves, let no one deceive ourselves. And you know, God is in control and that point of deception comes when I think that I somehow have the responsibility and the power to control outcomes. When somehow I believe that control is in my hands. Ultimately, control is in God's hands. Do what I know to do. Let God take care of the results. Paul says, deceiving yourself through the wisdom of this age. And you know the deception he's talking about there is the cruelest form of deception. It's that self-deception. Because if you're trying to deceive me, I can identify that and I can dismiss it and not be misled by it. But when I'm the one telling me the lies, it's pretty hard to dismiss. It's easy for me to believe the own lies that I believe are true. Because the surest barrier to truth is to believe you already have it. And so it's hard for me to identify the lies I tell for myself. Because who am I going to believe more than me? Who are you going to believe more than you? Paul says, let no one deceive himself, self-deception. And there's many lies we can deceive ourselves with. There's many things we can tell ourselves. There's many wrong ways we can think. I just want to point out three in the context of our uh, passage this morning. Three deceptive lies we can tell ourselves and believe. First, we can believe that we're in control of most circumstances and outcomes. I'm the master of my destiny. I'm a self-made man. I control what happens in my life. Really? 
Do you ultimately have control? We can believe that we have wisdom that didn't come from God. What I've learned, I've learned on my own. I went to school. I've had experience. I've learned all this information. Well, you know, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And there's nothing that any of us know in this room today. There's no experience you've ever had that has given you learning and and experience that God has not allowed to be into your life. God hasn't given you that information and that knowledge. And finally, we can believe that we're better than we really are. I can believe that I'm more obedient as a follower of Jesus Christ than I really am. I'm, I can believe that I'm, that I'm uh, more sacrificial than I really am. I can believe that I'm more faithful than I really am. I can believe that I'm more devoted to Jesus than I really am. We can deceive ourselves. And Paul says, don't deceive yourselves by thinking that you're wise in this age. Become a fool and you will become wise. Now, Paul wasn't promoting foolishness here, but what Paul was saying was this age, this world system that we live in, this world kingdom that's opposed to God's kingdom has its own set of ideology, its own set of beliefs, its own set of practices that are in direct opposition to what God says is true. And who's in control? God. So I can become a fool. Paul says the world says if, if, no, Paul says if you think your plans, your wealth, your power, your knowledge without God has any power to create desired outcomes, you're deceiving yourselves. And the world says that's foolishness. The world says there is no God. The world says there's no reason to depend on God. And the world says that someone who follows Jesus Christ has a weak mind, and they're just not too smart. Paul says the world calls us fools, and Paul would rather have been a fool for God, knowing that he's in control, than trust in the world's ideology and be deceived by it. He challenges us this morning, don't be deceived by the world's plans, by the world's idea. The wisdom of the world is folly with God. Why? Because he's the one that controls outcomes. He says here, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Our plans are futile if they're in direct opposition to God. You know, we might have ideas on how things need to work and and how we've got it all planned out and how everything is going to work, but it's God who ultimately makes the decisions, right? Let go and let God. Do what you know to do. Let God take care of the results. And I think he even supports this even further as we continue in the passage. Verse 21 says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are, God, you are Christ's and Christ is God's. That foolish wisdom, that, that wisdom that, that we allow to deceive ourselves can be best expressed in a boastful and pride-filled heart. I mean, it's not wrong to be proud of accomplishments or, or of doing a good job. But especially it's not wrong if we acknowledge that the truth is that God has given us the ability to achieve 
right? God is a creative God, and He's created us to be creative and to be successful and to be engaged and to be doing things in this world, and that's a wonderful thing. But let's remember where all of that comes from. It comes from God. And I can't boast in myself. Paul says, uh, you, you know, do not boast in men. Why do we boast in God? Because everything belongs to God. Amen? Amen. There's nothing to boast in. It's all a gift. Paul says, I'm a gift. Apollos is a gift. Cephas is a gift to the church because God has given us to you to, to lead and guide you. Just as Pastor Steve is a gift to new life, Paul was a gift to the Corinthian church. And he says, but don't even boast in me because I'm just a gift. There's nothing to boast in, not the whole wide world, not life, not death, not the present, not the future. It's all a gift from God. And to give it perspective, he says, even though God has given us all of these things, remember all that you have God has given you is yours. Your life is yours. Your present is yours. Your future is yours, right? But he said, you belong to Jesus. And Jesus belongs to God. As we are dependent upon Christ, presumably Christ is dependent upon God the Father. And for me, I'll just tell you, when I think about uh, doing what I know to do and let God take care of the results, I feel free. I feel free to let God be God in my life and not try to be God for Him. Because when when I'm doing what I know to do and I just... No, he's in control. Boy, I tell you, that's peace and that's freedom. I don't have to control the outcome. I don't have to determine the plan. I just have to be faithful because God's working it all out for his glory and for my joy. And in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, I love these two verses because this is exactly what Paul is saying here. He says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. You know, in the past in the past few weeks, we've discussed several times how the Corinthian church was riddled with uh, celebrity worship. You remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Steve put on the screens those those rock star pictures. Now, while Brian looked really great in those shots, I thought my picture was the best one of the bunch. The Corinthian church was riddled with celebrity worship. They looked at Paul and Apollos and Cephas and they put them up on pedestals. And Brian, a couple weeks ago, shared with us how that the Corinthians worshipped Paul and Cephas and Apollos because they wanted to promote their own religiousness. I follow the Apostle Paul. I follow the, the disciple Peter, Cephas. And they wanted to use that to boast their own pride. Well, Paul says the allegiance that they gave to men, they gave their allegiance to the men. These guys were men of God, right? But they were just men. And Paul says, don't boast even in us because we're just stewards and we're servants. He says the right view you should have of us and the right view you should have of one another is that we are all just servants and stewards for God. And I love those two words because the word translated servant here is a very unusual word, and it means under rowers, under rowers. It's like, what is that? Well, you've probably seen uh, movies like uh, Ben-Hur, where they have the long ship, 
with the guys under the deck that, that have the long oars that stick out the side. You know, you have on deck, you have the captain of the ship and the, and the soldiers and the passengers, but below deck you have these guys, these slaves, who are rowing the ship as the drum beats, boom, 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 creates that rhythm. And they just, they just row and row and row as they're told. Paul says, listen, here's what you should think of me and think of one another. We are just under rowers. I'm not the captain on deck trying to determine where the ship should go, the course of the ship or the destination of the ship. I'm just below deck doing what the captain says for me to do. I'm just a guy doing my job for Jesus. We're all under rowers, just doing our job for Jesus. He says, row, and what do we do? We row. You know, we row forward, we row backwards, we row all left, we row all right. I've been whitewater rafting, I know those commands. You know, he says we're under rowers. The master determines the course of the ship. My job is to just do what he says. I like that word. And then, not only that, but he says, I'm a steward. And in our context this morning, that steward is a great word because it's a common word used throughout the New Testament. And it's a word that describes the housekeeper, the guy who was in charge of the house. You know, the master owned the house, but he turned over the running of his farm or his his business to a steward. And this steward's job was not to take initiative and determine the outcomes of the house. The steward's job was to faithfully carry out the master's instruction. You know, the steward would not say, you know, uh, we're down on money this, this week. I think I'll take some crop down to the market and sell it and get some money for the house. He wouldn't do that unless the master told him to do that. Paul says, our job is to be faithful stewards, letting the master determine the outcome of the house. It was the master's job to determine what was going to happen in the house. It's the captain of the ship's job to determine the course of the ship. And it's our job to be faithful rowers and good stewards, just listening to his instructions and saying, yes, do what you know to do, that God take care of the results. And Paul says the example of this deceptive worldly wisdom is taking pride in me and yourselves rather than taking pride in faithful service. Jesus Christ has this success matrix that he's measuring us by, and that measurement is faithfulness. God's measurement for success is not status or schemes or accomplishments based in worldly wisdom. The master of the house determines the outcome and the faithful steward listens to his instructions and just obeys. You know, we get caught up so easily in celebrity worship because we judge one another based on the world's criteria. The world says success is how effectively a a person can scheme or plan, or execute. The world says success is a a man who can make his own way, build his own empire, set his own course, control his own life. Jesus says the measure for success, Jesus measures success by the faithfulness of the steward. The faithfulness of the steward. Jesus the master knows the best result for every life situation. 
And he gives us his underrowers. He gives us his housekeepers the proper instruction for the best results. Because Jesus Christ knows the end from the beginning, right? And because he does, his plans are the best. His plans are for our joy. And his plans are for his glory. And he knows how to work everything out. Do what you know to do. Let God take care of the results. Paul continues in verse 3 of chapter 4. He says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring light to things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. As a faithful steward, Paul sees himself as being responsible to the Lord, not to the Corinthians, because he knows the master of the house. And he knows to him and him alone will he give the account of his stewardship. How could Paul trust God and leave the results up to him? Well, because he knew the master of the house is Jesus. And he is the one who will bring all deeds and motives into the light. Jesus Christ is the master. Paul says, as faithful stewards, don't judge one another. Don't eulogize, he says, when you look at me, don't eulogize me for, for my success or condemn me when I don't measure up to your expectations. Why? Because when I'm judging another person's heart or their motives, I'm trying to determine the outcomes in their life. Not only do I want to determine the outcomes in my own life, but I want to judge you and have you conform to my own little set of rights and wrongs. And I'm trying to determine the outcomes in your life. Now clearly, the Bible says a tree bears its own type of fruit. And you'll know a tree by its fruit. And as we interact with one another and relate to one another, it's our responsibility to uh, encourage and motivate one another to obey what we know about Christ and, and, and live our relationship with God in such a way that, that reflects that we know Him and that we believe in Him. But when I, I, can, I can talk to you about your fruit, but when I start judging your motives, I'm trying to fix your root because the root, the life that's in the tree is what comes out as fruit. And Paul says... Don't judge one another. We can be fruit inspectors, but I'm not a root doctor. Paul said, let God be the judge. It's God's job. If a fellow servant is falling into sin, correct them in love, model good stewardship for them, but don't try to be the one to manipulate and change their heart. That's God's job. God is in control. And he wraps this passage up in verse 6 and 7 by saying, I've applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? From Paul's summation here, we know that Paul says this teaching applies applies to all of you in in Corinth and applies to all of us here at New Life. But Paul says, I'm using myself and Apollos as examples to help you understand. You see, this church, they viewed their gifts 
their wealth, their talents, their abilities, and their possessions as grounds for boasting. They felt that in their own abilities, they could control their life. They could control their destiny. And they didn't have to act as faithful stewards, as faithful underrowers. They could do what they want. And God would just bless whatever they were doing. They became puffed up in their own hearts. But the bottom line question Paul asks of the Corinthians, and I want to ask you today, and I want to encourage you to think about this this week. The bottom line question is, what do you have that you were not given by God? What is in your life that God did not give you? Everything you know, everything you are, everything you have is a gift from God because the source of life and everything we have and everything we are is God. God is the source of life. And if God's in control and if He's the source of life and He knows the end from the beginning, then His thoughts are the best thoughts. Amen? His ways are the best ways. Amen? His plans are the best plans. Amen? So just do what you know to do. Let God take care of the results. I think that phrase ties this entire scripture up. And you know, Paul says, don't accept the world's wisdom and deceive yourselves, but live your life as a faithful steward, as a faithful under rower, as someone who's just doing your job because Jesus asks you to do it, as someone who takes care of the house as best you can by following his instruction because he's the master. And as I think about this letting go of outcomes and letting God be God in my life, letting let go and let God, do what I know to do. Let God take care of the results. As I, as I apply that to my life, I find that, that it, it's, it's applicable in every situation. And I really use this. You know, things in my life come into my life, and I just run it through that matrix. How, how can I know what to do and then let God take care of the results? And I was thinking there's a, there's a, a variety of ways I could, I could apply this for you to help you understand what I mean. And we could be here all day talking about all the various ways that this applies in your relationships and in your job and in your health and in your life and in your uh, connection to Jesus Christ. But I know you don't want to be here all day. So I'm just going to give you two examples of how this concept can apply in your life. I was thinking about that today there would be a lot of us in here who are married or have been married or want to be married. So I was thinking about how to apply this in marriage for, as, a, as a specific example. Do what you know to do. Let God take care of the results. You know, God gives us instruction in His Word on how a, a faithful husband and a faithful wife should respond to one another and how marriage should work. So we start with His Word, and we start with those three commands. Love God, love others, and make disciples. So when I think about my marriage, I start with those three commands and then I apply those commands in context of passages like uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and Ephesians chapter 5. 
and I spend time in God's Word to intellectually understand what He's saying about me as a husband and how I should respond as a husband to my wife. And then I spend time in prayer and in relationship with my wife, living that out to, to internalize that in my heart so that, I, so that I begin to believe it in my heart and I begin to behave it. And so I apply it in a faithful way. As a faithful steward, as an under rower, I just apply those principles in my life. And I try to let go of the outcomes and let God take care of the results. And you know, so often I think our marriage problems, problems that we have in marriage, are directly related to our unwillingness to be faithful stewards with the Master's instructions. He's already given us what we need to do and to understand, but we don't always want to apply that. We want to manipulate outcomes. So we'll go to, uh, we'll read all kinds of books and we'll go listen to Dr. Phil or we'll do all kinds of things to try to find ways to fix my spouse because obviously there's something wrong with my spouse. So I'm going to try to fix my spouse. I'm going to try to fix my marriage. I'm going to try to to control the outcome because I have this picture of what my marriage should be, and so I'm going to try to fix it. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with reading books or getting some outside perspective to to bring some perspective into my life, but those things are not going to make a world of difference if I'm not willing to behave the truth that I already know. God says, do what you know to do and let Him take care of the results. As I apply uh, what I know to do and try to behave as a faithful steward toward my wife, and she does the same thing toward me, let me tell you what, God takes the outcomes of our marriage and does amazing things that you could never even understand. That's who God is. Doing what you know to do, let God take care of the results. And you know, I say this to you, and I know today you're sitting here and you mentally accept what I just said. You believe exactly what I just said. You won't disagree with me. You walk out of here on Sunday morning and that sounds right. And then Tuesday morning when everything goes haywire, it's easy to kind of fall right back in to my old patterns and my old ways. What's God, what's Jesus' success matrix? What's He measuring us on? Faithfulness. What I do on Sunday, I do on Monday. I do on Tuesday. And Wednesday, I'm faithful. God calls us to be faithful. Do what you know to do faithfully, and He'll take care of the results. Last week, I was praying with some unemployed folks. And one of the guys that was praying, um, some folks here at New Life that are unemployed, and one of the guys that was praying with us, he began to pray this prayer. He said, God, help me let go of worry and fear and just trust you to work out my job problem. I listened to him pray that, and I went, wow. That's what I'm going to speak on Sunday morning. He was saying, God, let me do what I know to do, and I'm just going to let you take care of the job problem. I'm going to let you find the job. Now, clearly, he needs to do resumes, and he needs to go on job interviews, and he needs to do job searches. He can't just sit at home on the couch and say, well, God, I'm going to wait till the job comes because I think he'd be waiting a long time. He's going to do what he knows to do, 
But by letting God take care of the results, he doesn't have to worry about it. Because let me tell you what, God already knows he needs a job. And God already knows that he needs a job to provide income for his family. And God already has the job out there waiting for him. He's just asking this, this guy to be faithful and do what he knows to do. And God will get him to the job in God's time. God wants us to abandon the outcomes to trust his heart and trust his plan for our lives. Do what you know to do. So he can continue doing what he's doing and just have patience that God is going to work it all out. God's going to open the door. And I know we all have struggles, and I know it's hard to hear these kind of words when we're in the middle of the struggle because as human beings, we don't see God's big picture. And we want to get in there, and we want to fix it. We want to solve the problem right now. i got to fix it right now. I can't, I can't let it go. I can't be patient. I've got to do something. But you know God's in control? Is God in control this morning? Yeah. I think he is. And he can use everything in your life for your good, for his glory, and for your joy. As you leave today, I just want to leave you with a question, and I want you to think about. You know, the first question Paul asked there was, what have you received that God hasn't given you? Paul says, don't deceive yourselves by this world's wisdom. But consider yourself to be a faithful steward and a faithful under rower and just do what you know to do. Now, obviously, you have to find out what it is. You need to be in God's Word to understand what God asks. But as you leave here today, I want you to remember that phrase. Do what you know to do. Let God take care of the results. And I want to ask you to think about in your life what are some areas in your life that you've tried to determine the ship's course. Instead of being the under rower, you're on deck trying to set the course. You're trying to set the destination. What are some areas that you need to let go and let God? What are some areas in your life that you need to trust God's heart, trust His plan, and abandon the outcomes? I want you to think about that this week, and I want you to begin applying that to your life. Do what you know to do. Let God take care of the results. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you right now. I thank you, Jesus, that you are in control. I thank you that you are the beginning, the end, and the of every situation in our lives. There's nothing in our lives, Lord, that you don't know. There's nothing in our lives you're not aware of. God, I thank you that you have provided for us life and everything that we have comes from you. Lord, I pray this morning that as we leave this place, we will not deceive ourselves by giving heed to the world's wisdom. We'll not boast in ourselves as though we've created anything of ourselves, but we will consider ourselves to be faithful stewards, to be uh, under rowers, Lord, just doing our job for you. And Lord, help us to just do what we know to do and let you take care of the results. In Jesus' name, amen.